trigger warning this podcast contains various abuse situations listener discretion advised. You are listening to the We Are One podcast that's sharing light on the IFB by discussing with survivors, ex-members, and even members of the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The stories that are shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective. Not all legal outcomes are known and final. Any suspect are presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. Now here's your host Olivia. Hi, welcome back to the We Are One podcast. I'm your host, Olivia. This week's episode is a little bit different because it is a part one of a three-week episode series. In this three-week episode series, I sit down with not only a survivor of Circle of Hope Girls Ranch, but also a survivor of every single form of abuse that someone could go through. She shows how strong one can be given the circumstances She shows hope for the future, and she has a lot of faith left. I'm so excited to introduce this next guest. So without further ado, hi, Gabby. Hey, guys. Um, I am just going to, I guess, kind of speed through a brief synopsis and timeline. There's so much stuff that I can talk about, and it's hard to squeeze basically a whole lifetime childhood wise um into an hour you know or whatever podcast episode so i'm gonna try to hit some of the big points i'm gonna do a brief timeline on like when i joined how long i was there and some of the kind of highlight key events i want to talk about and then after that we can kind of go back and forth i guess and i'll answer whatever questions you have and if you want to stop me at any point in this you just say so Okay, well, let's get started. Okay, so for years after the story I'm about to tell, I struggled with my faith. I struggled with what I believed. What did the Bible actually teach? I struggled with hatred, resentment, confusion, nightmares. I pushed down intrusive thoughts of violence toward the people who hurt me, abused me, and traumatized me, and the people that I loved. This isn't just a story, though. This goes from an interesting story in a genre of fiction to downright disgusting and twisted in a genre of nonfiction. But there are no colorful exaggerations. It is free from editorial flares. This is not fiction. This is my story. This was my life. This is truth and these are the facts. This is how I was raised. I somehow survived. The only reason this story is going to sound so good is because I was given the gift of words. I have been told my entire life that it was a spiritual gift, if you will. I find it ironic that the people who nearly drove me insane think I am so lost, that I am not credible, and I have no relationship with Jesus. Well, you better better buckle up, because we are going on an adventure, and you're going to eat my words. Everyone will know the truth, and the truth shall set me free. I am not here for revenge. I am here for accountability. I am here to shed light on the darkness that lurks in God's house, defiling the name of Jesus and mudding the truth of the gospel. My name is Gabrielle. I'm 28 now. I was raised in IBLP with Dole Gothard's teachings from 3 to 11. Then from 11 to 18, I was raised in an IFB church. A a short stint from 15 to 16, during our membership at Lighthouse Baptist Church, I was sent to Circle of Hope Girls Ranch in Humansville, Missouri. I am now a wife to an amazing man, a mother to four children, and have recently become a licensed real estate agent. It's a little bit about me now. 
while I have an entire childhood of traumas, memories, experiences that I'm going to share, I'm going to be focusing on only the IFB church and my time at Circle of Hope. So early years, I guess, of Lighthouse, I remember when we first started to attend Lighthouse. I was so excited because the church we came from had literally started in the living room of a pastor's home. It was such a small congregation that there were not any children my age. There wasn't youth activities or anything like that to speak of. Lighthouse was honestly the biggest church I'd ever been to. I thought it was huge. It was going to be my first real taste of quote-unquote society outside my home. We had always been homeschooled. We didn't have any friends or connection to people outside the church we attended and only those people. I remember attending three other Baptist churches in the process of finding a new church home. They let us all say our piece about which churches we felt at home in and had the best Sunday school and youth programs. They wanted us to have that. They knew it was something missing from our lives, and I do think they had all the best intentions. Um, I, I want to say that all of my siblings, so I have five siblings, and I think that we all voted for a lighthouse because they actually let us, like, not that they necessarily would have listened, but I think that they let us vote for the church that we liked the most. And I think we all voted for a lighthouse with maybe the exception of one voting for like Thompson Road or something. I don't remember. Um, so I remember my first Sunday school. I remember thinking, wow, like this is awesome. There's a whole junior high youth group with youth pastors, activities, a bunch of kids my age. I or it didn't take long before my view and my attitude began to shift. I remember as a, young, a younger child being very active. I always wanted to be outside. I was always playing sports with my older brother instead of Barbies and dolls with my sisters. Um, when I did play Barbies, I used my brother's G.I. Joes. I began attending Thursday Night Youth and I was thrilled to learn that they had a whole hour dedicated to sports. We got to team up, play one pitch, dodgeball, relays, you name it, and it was amazing. That was the first quote-unquote organized anything athletic I had really done, and I loved it. To this day, I distinctly remember, though, one night at youth, the girls and, the girls and boys were divided for sports because um, the games they were playing, I guess they didn't want to, like, mix the genders. So the girls were doing something, I don't even remember what it was, it was something lame, something I didn't want to do. I thought I was completely uninterested. And the boys were playing two-hand touch football. Totally more up my alley. I've been doing it my whole life. I joined the boys and started while well, they had a captain draft. Um, pretty sure I was the last one that they picked, but I was about to show them what I was made of. I was so happy. Right before we started, um, so there was a set of youth leaders for junior high and one for senior high. And I remember one of them coming over and stopping the game and saying that I couldn't be the only girl playing. I had to go do what the girls was like what the girls were doing. And I said, oh, it's fine. Like, I'm not scared of getting hurt. I always play with my older brother, like, and his friends, but that wasn't, they weren't satisfied. They made me go join the girls, told me I couldn't. I didn't get an explanation other than certain things. We separate the boys and the girls, and that's just how it is. I remember being so upset about that and a little bit confused. All I wanted to do was play sports and be competitive. So this story, in retrospect, may seem, or seem silly and small, but to me, it was kind of a pivotal point where I realized that my life just wasn't going to be my own. The things that I was interested in wasn't going to matter. And it was always going to be just, there was going to be division. And it was going to be, you just do what you're told. Like, there is no room for 
independent thinking, you know, what your individual interests are. It's just like, you're part of this group and we're having fun, but like, you can only have fun if you're following, you know, this setup for how it's going to go. So, so yeah, I, I remember stories like that. It seems silly, but I'm just talking about things that I specifically remember. Um, so I, I just, I remember that was the first time I felt like a number. It was, I was just a girl that needed to follow the whole list of rules to participate and be part of something. And I just wanted to be part of something, anything. I didn't have many girlfriends at this point in time. I was still new and somewhat on the outside. So I just went along and put on a smile. The first little while I was involved in Sunny School, I loved that we got a message pre preached directly to us. It was meant to be for our level, and I remember soaking it in. I always followed the fill-in-the-blank style sheets that were passed out. I was open to the Word of God. I had a heart for God. I had a relationship with Him, and I did desire His directing and blessings in my life. I tried to do the things I felt I needed to in order to be a good Christian and be one of the favorites of the youth group. I wore the right clothes. I was involved as I could be. My only life outside the house was at Lighthouse. We got heavily involved very fast. My dad became a trustee pretty early on. Um, it felt like we ate, slept, and breathed Lighthouse. We went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night youth. We did Saturday morning door-to-door -door and soul winning. We went to every extra activity they had. There was youth rallies once a month. They had different week-long stints of revival services, women's conferences, you name it, we were there. My mom and I worked in the nursery ministry. I babysat for other families. We were in it, in it. It was only within the first year of being there that things start, started to spiral downward. I started to feel like I was being singled out and picked on, and I started to rebel in my own way. I didn't always want to be involved anymore. When I went to youth nights, I would be taken to the side and guilted for the shirt being too tight across my chest. Mind you, I was 13 and I already had a large sized chest that was extremely disproportionate to my body as a whole. And I would say I'm wearing an oversized or loose regular style t-shirt, which is what is asked for in the dress code. So I don't understand what I could do to, you know, what, what better I could wear to hide my body or be in the right dress code. They would take me to the attic and pull out some old donated clothing that smelled like mothballs and make you wear the most hideous thing they could find. This wasn't about being modest. It was about dehumanizing you, demoralizing you, and forcing you into submission on any issue they had. I didn't get to pick a shirt to change into since my t-shirt was sinful and distracting. They picked it for you. Other people in the youth group to this day remember some of the embarrassing things they made me come down in. I remember asking... Why does it feel like I'm being singled out? Why does it feel like I literally wear something that is in line with printed dress code, but I'm still forced to change? I am still called out and humiliated. I don't understand. I would point out other girls and say, their shirt is skin tight. What about that? And I remember one girl specifically that was an, a recurring, reoccurring offender, never had anything to say, and they never said anything to her. They told me that they couldn't say anything about her shirt, because it was too tight on her belly fat, not her boobs that were being flaunted, and they would be offending to her if they were to say something. About this time, I remember my parents had been in marital counseling with Pastor. My mom, who had always homeschooled us, had reached a point she was physically and emo emotionally unable to continue. 
they were hoping to keep us kids on the right path, so they just put us into the church's school. This is where I was subject to more humiliation, especially with the dress code. They actually gave me a specific set of rules that only I had to follow for the dress code since my body was different. I remember being embarrassed over the type of underwear I was wearing. Mind you, under my clothing, nobody could even see, but because apparently they were inappropriate and I was subjecting myself to sinful nature and the devil because of a thong. I will never forget this conversation. It was the first time I was bold enough to actually stand up for myself and get a little attitude with an adult. I was 13. I said, I think the thong I am wearing that nobody can see is way less distracting than your nasty panty line. Everyone has to see while you are writing on the whiteboard. And you know how that works, demerits and principal's office. I was proud of myself though. I was proud of standing up for myself and asking questions for something that seemed so stupid. After the one year of church school, my parents went through a legal separation and my mom enrolled us in public school so she could get a job. I was extremely sheltered my whole life. I had never listened to worldly music or been subject to anything really. It was a shell shock. I was traumatized, I was bullied, I was made fun of for not knowing certain terms, music artists, or the latest fashion trends. It was the first time I was actively allowed to wear jeans and pants at school. My parents were strict about clothing and were, there were still a lot of boundaries. However, we definitely took advantage of the lenience we were getting. To us, wearing jeans was like going to a rock concert and getting kissed by a boy. It was epic, it had always been forbidden, it was just viewed as bad. This year, my dad and I really lost any form of healthy relationship. I started to resent him and the leadership of the church I would have to spend all week on a podcast to talk about why, but it boiled down to I was getting older and smarter. I never felt heard or seen. I felt like I was being controlled instead of encouraged and nourished. There were no choices. There was no affection from him. I desired things I didn't have. The public school environment allowed me to see how weird or strict my world really had been. I remember starting to get the attention of several boys at school and church, and boys were very bad. If you were caught standing too close to one, trouble, shame. If you were caught sitting next to one without a hymnal in between you, shame. Called out, embarrassed. I desperately needed care, concern, love, and affection, and I didn't get any. What do you think happened? I went boy crazy, as they called it. This was the point in time I had officially been labeled as a black sheep because I had an interest in boys. I wasn't actually doing anything bad at this point. I was just expressing a clear interest in the opposite gender. When my parents got back together, there was another huge shift. My mom's rules while he had been gone were much more relaxed and what he wanted when he was back home was very different. I had gotten a taste of having friends, being able to go to other people's houses. I started to have friends from public school. I had a tiny bit of choice in my clothing and music choices within reason and that was crazy to me. I was allowed to listen to Casting Crowns, which is a contemporary Christian, you know, rock group or whatever you want to call it. And I was allowed to wear jeans instead of only dresses. None of the things, none of these things were bad or wrong, but to the church's standards, they were worldly, sinful, and wrong. So my dad put an end to it. I had recently gotten my belly button pierced and my mom didn't know about it. She wasn't happy, but I had it done. And the first day my dad saw me, at the pool and had it, he literally grabbed it and he ripped it out. I have a scar to this day. He ripped out my belly button ring and I have scars on my, on my belly, two of them. 
Okay, so just went off for a minute there because I remembered that. Um, so yeah, he put it into all that. Um, he, or at least he tried to, he was still in just blind devotion to the church and the pastor and the standards they had. I remember asking, show me in the Bible where it says these things are wrong and prove to me it's biblical, not just man's standards and rules. He couldn't, but still enforce whatever the church said. And that's when we really started fi fighting and arguing almost daily. Out of six kids, I was the one that somehow turned out very high strong. I was not scared to speak my mind. I was not a sheep. I asked questions and demanded answers other than that's just the rule. But like, and I asked questions, why is that the rule? Explain to me why these things are so important where God is dishonored because I'm wearing a pair of jeans. If it was always, it was always some of the dumbest stuff and they were just so hung up on it. And when I made valid points, I was shut down and labeled rebellious and troubled. I can name several people from the Bible that were subjected to abuse, evil leadership and authority that were not of God and rebelled and spoke out to be in God's will. So don't tell me that we are always just to blindly follow anyone who says they're a spiritual leader. We are called to be set apart, yes, but for a church to decide blanket standards and force people to abide by that or be shunned is wrong. They want you to believe that you cannot be privileged enough to have direct communication with God as good as what they do. If you're ever in doubt, they do not direct you to, to the Bible and God's will, they direct you to their will and their interpretation of the Bible. It got so bad, and I became so hateful. I was doing wrong with good intentions. I was trying to make my points and be allowed to have some form of independence for my own decision within reasons, or decisions within reason, but I was just shut down. Forced into submission, punished for wanting to have a voice, I called out specific hypocrisies within the church, leadership, and my father's actions to no avail. The more rejected I was, the more angry I got. This was no longer about right and wrong. This was no longer about personal preference or opinion. I was mad that I had no voice. I was going to submit to what they said, or I was going to be punished. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I quickly lost my desire for the things of God when I felt that his leaders the church, the pastor, and my father were all failing in my eyes to support, educate, love, and lead by example, so I acted out. I got in verbal and physical fights with my dad. I resented the youth leaders. It became very toxic. It was all wrong. I called my dad out for a specific hypocrisy at home one day, and he picked up a coffee mug and threw it at my head. I dodged it, and it went through the front, through the front window. The shattered glass was a visual representation of how my heart felt. I couldn't believe that me pointing out a fact had made him so angry he attempted to hurt me like that. Sure, it was a reaction out of anger, but it was just the final straw for me emotionally. I remember my mom coming into the living room in the commotion and immediately being angry with me for yelling and being disrespectful without even asking what had happened. So now she had chosen a side too, and it wasn't mine. It wasn't God's, it was the men that she was submitted to. The men who had brainwashed her to believe that her children and her were to submit to God, the pastor and the husband or father without question, with no hesitation or common sense, not even to protect her own flesh and blood. I was done. I lost every ounce of respect for everything they ever taught me because now to me it was all fucking bullshit. 
That day was the end. It was the end of any childhood for me. My mind was confused. My heart was broken. I was angry. I hated them and what they stood for. I was tired of being subjected to hypocrisy and lies. I was tired of being controlled. I told my dad the reason I didn't care about anything he had to say to me was because of this Bible passage, the one that had been instilled in me since I could walk and talk. Ephesians 6, verse 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. I was forced to memorize that. It was the guide for everything, but it was funny to me that the next few verses were always left out. They didn't hold the same weight for some reason. Verse 4 goes on to say, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with God, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall receive, he shall he receive of the Lord, whether it be bond or free. Wrath is extreme anger; it's literally the definition, and yet this was his parenting style yelling, screaming, spanking, beating. Fathers weren't supposed to provoke their children to wrath, but instead bring them up in the nurture and admonition. For those of you who don't know, admonition means counsel or warning. It also goes on to talk about how you live. Your actions, your deeds should not be eye service to make people happy, but, but as a true condition or a heart condition that would result in those things from a relationship with Christ and his leading. I wasn't given this opportunity. I wasn't allowed to make these decisions based on a, on a relationship with God and studying his Bible and his desires. I was only controlled and forced into the mold they had made. I felt like if someone could live and breathe the Bible and their church, but choose which portions were important to follow and which ones to disregard, and refuse to adhere to other portions, why should I listen to any of it? I was mad. I was hurt. I wasn't seen or heard. I screamed these things to him. I told him he was a joke and that my whole childhood was wasted. He told me in some words that I was grounded. I wasn't going to leave my room. I was totally messed up and out of control. I went to shove past him. We got into a physical altercation, which of course led to the police being called. I had hit my head during the scuffle and had marks on my body from being squeezed and shoved. I even blacked out from hitting my head. But they decided I was incorrigible. I explained my issues to the police and told them, or and they told me I was wrong. I had no respect for authority and basically, again, didn't listen. There was, however, one officer in particular that seemed to sympathize with me and could see my heart was broken and I was lost and confused. He told me that if he had to come back that day, he would be taking me to juvie. Bingo. I was 14. To me, being taken away from my parents and my home to be brought to a children's jail seemed the better option. I viewed it as an escape. Isn't that pretty messed up? So what do I do? I would do something shocking to get them to call the police, 
but it wasn't just going to be anything. I wanted to send a message. I ripped that page out of my Bible that those verses were printed on that he didn't care to listen to, and I set it on fire. The ride to Juvie was interesting. I remember him saying, I told you if I had to come back, you were going to go for a ride. And I said, I know. That's why I did it. Confusion. He contorted his face, and he said, you wanted to go to Juvie? And I said, yep, it'll be safer and happier than where I was. You could tell he was hurt and he was confused. He didn't understand. I remember him telling me when he dropped me off to Juvie that he would be checking in on me. And when I got back home, he would be making sure that I was okay. I think he knew something was up. I spent two weeks in Juvie, including my 15th birthday. The people there seemed to somehow care about me more than God's people, more than my own parents. It was like a vacation to me. I remember being up the whole night before. Oops, I lost my spot. I remember being up the whole night before I was to be released back home. I was crying and sad. A couple people came and checked on me because they realized I was up all night crying. They asked me why I was upset. I told them I didn't want to go back home and that I was scared to go back home. I even asked one of the staff what I could do to get in trouble so I could stay. They talked me out of it. They said, you need to go home. You never belonged here and you will be fine. And the day I came home was weird. I wasn't happy. I was, I was upset that I was back. And instead of them shifting their parenting and using this as a fresh start with the direct counsel of the pastor, along with directors of a girl's home that they were directly affiliated with, they took my clothes, my makeup, my books, my things. Everything that was personal or mine was gone. I had a bed, a couple pairs of skirts, and dress outfits, and that was it. I asked where my things were, and I wanted to take a shower and pluck my eyebrows that were overgrown. They told me that I was stripped of all what they considered privilege, that this would be my life until I fixed my attitude. The pastor said that this is what we should do, and that's where this was coming from. I will never forget this stuff. I was so angry. I wanted to hurt my dad, so I used the first cuss words I ever had uttered out of my mouth. I picked the worst, the worst one I could think of. I looked directly into his eyes, and I said, fuck you. A few minutes after I slammed the door, he came into my room. He took the door off the hinges. A couple hours went by at most. I just sat in my room staring at the wall. I cried. I wonder how much longer I would survive like this. Should I be strong and keep up my rebellion to prove my points? Or should I just fake it to regain some sense of normalcy? I just reflected on everything until I heard a knock, followed by a familiar voice. It was Pastor Tid. He came into my room. He said that I had left him no choice to get my shoes and come on, we were leaving. I said, go ahead and take me back to Juvie. I don't care. And he said, oh no, that's not where you're going. Let's go. I said, I'm not going anywhere with you. I told them they were all crazy, that they had failed raising me the way God intended, but my dad and Pastor Tid ignored my refusal and started to grab my hand or an arm, insisting I come. I grabbed onto my bed frame and started putting up a fight for what felt like my life. Kicking, yelling, I held on so tight, it took them both nearly 15 minutes to get me off and out of my room. My dad was holding my torso and my arms while Pastor Tid held my feet. I used every ounce of strength I had left, and I shoved him with my feet right in the nuts. He stumbled back and fell down a couple stairs into the wall in the front door, and I remember my mom, her face was horrified. 
She started apologizing for what I had done. He assured her he was fine. They continued to drag me out. They dumped me in the back seat of his Chrysler 300 and they drove away. We were in the car for hours. I lost track of time. I had no idea where we were going. I never spoke a word. It was dark. It was the middle of the night when we arrived. I still was unsure of where we even were. I asked and nobody would tell me. I remember my dad crying and saying he was sorry that he had no choice and then going back to the car. That was the last time I saw him for three months. They wouldn't let me say bye. I didn't get to say bye to my sisters. Nobody told me they loved me. This wasn't helping. That's not what it felt like. It felt like punishment. I was too far gone for them to help, or so they said. I was greeted by a tall, homely-looking lady with long gray hair and a man slightly shorter than her with white hair and glasses, and I will never forget their faces or his voice. He had this way of saying my name that literally just sent, like, chills down my spine. They acted nice enough in the, you know, the small portion that we saw each other and met that night. They briefly explained that I would be staying here indefinitely. I was to stay with my buddy, is what they called them, for the first three weeks. Was never allowed to be anywhere without my buddy. Orange shirts were the new girls. They had a shirt system, color-coded, and that's what I was in for the first month. Or that's what they said was going to be, you know, for the first month. Girls in training, if you will, that are needing to be taught the rules are orange shirts. I was led into the basement of bunk beds and concrete floor. No color, barely any light. Twenty faces woke up to the light and the commotion. I don't remember sleeping that first night. I was angry. I felt abandoned. I felt confused. And I felt terrified. Something seemed very eerie about this place. We woke up first thing in the morning, got dressed, and went to the bathroom. Then lined up for count before exiting the basement for morning chores. It sounds simple enough, but let me go back. Our clothes were not our own. They were old, passed-down, jumper-style dresses, extra, extra baggy, brief-style white-only underwear, long white socks, and these were our normal daily uniforms. We had two sets. We wore these clothes for three days at a time. When going to the bathroom, someone was standing inside the door watching you at all times. All sense of privacy was gone. I was dehumanized and humiliated every day, starting from day one. There was a girl who had a clipboard outside the bathroom. After you went, she would go and look in the toilet. She would make a tally or a note, and you were only given three squares of toilet paper. If you asked for more, you were made to push, which meant push-ups, for being wasteful. You were not allowed to look in the mirrors in the bathroom. If someone caught you, push. More push-ups. Morning chores consisted of feeding and watering all the animals. The first half of my stay was there at, the, at their personal house in the basement. They had another property down the road that was being worked on, and that's where the majority of the animals were. At the main house, all I really remember was roosters and horses. But at the second property, there were horses, chickens, ducks, geese. Hogs, horses, cattle, and a goat. After morning chores, we came back, cleaned up, and lined up for breakfast. Before we ate breakfast, we had to cite the rules list, the dorm rules if you have, have it, and Colossians 3. 
I had to spend every minute of my quote unquote free time memorizing all those things. By the end of my stay, I had memorized and would cite by heart the dorm rules, Colossians 3 before breakfast, Ephesians 6 and Philippians 4 before lunch, and all of Psalm 119 before dinner. I think it's 176 verses for reference. And I, I actually memorized those things and I would cite them by heart every single day. That's not indoctrination or brainwashing. I don't know what is. Um, so the, for, the first morning there after like the initial waking up was kind of a blur. I remember my buddy was teaching me the rules and it was so much to take in. You're not allowed to talk to other girls except the buddy and staff. You must raise your hand to speak. If you don't raise your hand and you ever speak out without raising your hand first for any reason, push-ups. You have a three-day grace period to learn the rules before you actually get disciplined or have to do push-ups. The first day, I remember sitting for hours, squatted on or kneeling in gravel picking weeds and grass in the July heat. Hours. No water, no bathroom. Hours. My knees and my back were in so much pain just from the first day. If you ever got caught slacking off, push. If you got caught looking into the eyes of another lower shirt color too, push. You are, you know, making up a plan to escape with no words, just looking at them. Like, that's how they viewed it. You looked at someone in the eyes too long, push-ups. Like, they would bust shirt colors for looking at a girl in the face too long. I mean, I mean, it's insane to even, I'm trying to picture this because it's, it's so much, and people who weren't there would have no idea unless you say all these things. Um, I lost my, my train of thought where I even was. I don't remember lunch specifically that day. Dinner, though, I will vividly remember for the rest of my life. I was completely traumatized by a meal. How, you ask? I had never been huge on exotic-type foods, but overall, I wasn't too picky. I only had two very specific things I hated. They made me sick and I would vomit if forced to eat them or if I forced myself to eat them. Mayonnaise and ranch. The first dinner, the first dinner meal I had was taco salad. We had teal lunch cafeteria, or cafeteria style trays. We would line up in shirt color order. One by one, you walk down the line almost like in a buffet style where they would serve you one thing at a time. I made it to the end. And when I got to the end, she went to drizzle ranch over my ta taco salad. I said, no, thank you. And I got a look of disgust and shock for speaking out of turn. It was a younger lady who was on staff there. She said, you don't get to choose what you do or don't like. I assured her that if you put that on my food, I will not be able to eat it and I will probably throw up. She then mocked me and said, here, since you think you are special, and rules don't apply to me, or uh, rules don't apply to you, you get extra. She poured three ladles of ranch on top of my food. It was no longer a taco salad, it was ranch soup. I struggled to even take one bite. I gagged. I told them I couldn't and just sat there. My buddy said, I would suggest you start eating because if they come out here at the end of the timer and you haven't eaten your food, you are going to be sorry. So I sat there. They came out, Miss Householder, Stephanie Householder. She came out and she told me, you don't have a choice. You are to eat what you are given. If you don't eat it, you will be force fed. 
if you throw up, you're going to have your face in it. And she, and she set one of those little like egg timers and she sat it on the table next to me. And I just sat there crying. Cause I was like, I am not going to eat this. I tried. I remember trying to eat a couple of bites and I would literally start gagging and puking on my, on like on my tray. And I just sat there into the timer. It, it, the timer rang or whatever. And she came back outside. She grabbed the back of my neck and she threw me down to the ground. And she shoved my face in some of the vomit. She told me for, for the time that I was there, if there was ever a time I didn't finish a meal, that would, would that would be what I ate the next meal cold. They would, whatever it was, they would stick it in a bowl, wrap saran wrap on it, put it in the fridge, and that was your next meal. They said, I don't care if you haven't eaten this for three days. You'll give, be given that over and over again cold in a bowl until you eat it. That was a Friday, that was a Friday night because the next morning was Saturday morning. And the girls, I feel like they looked forward to Saturday morning breakfast because normal breakfast was a small bowl of oatmeal or a small bowl of cereal and then a piece of bread that had butter on it. It wasn't like toast or warmed. It was literally just buttered bread. And that was our breakfast every day. But Saturday morning, we got eggs and sometimes like meat. Sometimes they had pancakes or fruit. Like it was an actual meal. And so we looked forward to that. And I remember I told her, I will not eat that. And she said, okay, you're going to learn the hard way. So she brought it inside. She stuck it in the fridge. She wrapped it in a bowl, saran wrap. And the next morning, while everybody else around me was eating pancakes and eggs and everything else, she brought out a bowl. It was literally taco salad with some vomit in it, still covered in ranch. And they told me I had to eat it. And if I wasn't going to eat it, I was going to get it the next meal. And I remember sitting there like, putting a bite in my mouth and then putting as much water in my mouth as I could and just trying to swallow it and not taste it, not think about it. And I, I threw up like three or four more times during that and I ate it all. I ate every single bite of it and I literally forced myself to, I don't know how I did it. I literally, every time I take, put a bite in my mouth, immediately gagging, like trying to throw up. Literally forced to eat my own vomit because they told me that if I didn't, I would get restrained. And I didn't know what that meant yet. They didn't explain what restraining was. But my buddy, my quote-unquote buddy that was above me, she told me, you do not want to be restrained. I am telling you, do what they tell you or you're going to get restrained. And it's painful and it's awful. And that's all they really said about it. And I remember them coming out after I was almost done with my food and Brother House and Miss Stephanie saying, Good. Looks like you figured out that you're going to do what you're told or you're not going to enjoy your time here. And I remember saying, you guys are crazy. I want to go home. When am I going home? And they said, you don't need to worry about when you're going home. You're not going home. I didn't even know where. I literally didn't even know what state I was in. I didn't know where I was. Okay, so this is my, this is literally just my first day there and some of the stuff that happened the first day. I was there for 11 months, and every single day, we were subject to some type of neglect, abuse, and mental, tra I mean, trauma. Trauma, like, traumatizing events that I still, to this day, like, remember vividly. I remember the sounds, I remember the faces, I remember things that were said, I remember the feelings I was having in those moments, and it never stopped. It just got worse. So... Moving on from that, 
like I was telling you before, our breakfast meal was oatmeal that was not flavored, sweetened, or anything else. It was literally oats and water. Completely flavorless oats and water was what we had almost every day for breakfast and a piece of not warmed up toast, like literally a piece of bread with a bunch of like butter smeared on it. That was our breakfast every day. Lunch was usually a sandwich or like some leftovers. It was a lot of times it was leftovers from the dinner before and, you know, water. Um, and then dinner was various things, but we had a salad every single night with dinner that had ranch on it. So I had to eat that every single day. And I remember, I mean, I literally like gagged almost every dinner. Like I would literally save it till the end and then the timer would be ticking down and I'd be like stuck with that. So then I started, I was like, you know what? Instead, I'm going to just eat the salad first, get it over with, and then eat the rest of my food afterwards. So like I started trying to do that. Like I was trying to do everything I could to just basically get through eating this fucking salad with ranch all over it every single day. Like it was, I literally looked forward to it and dreaded it on top of the things that was going on on a daily basis. That's what I was literally like, I couldn't, I was like, God, I just don't want it to be dinner time because I want to eat salad with ranch. And every once in a while, blue moon, they would not serve salad. And I remember it was like the best days of my life there. They didn't serve salad and ranch because I would just be sitting there trying not to puke and then get forced to eat my own puke again. Um, it was disguised as a girls' boarding school that was going to educate children and that was basically going to bend their will and force them into submission of the churches that sent them. Like, we were going to be there for, and there was a contract they made parents sign for two years. And I can find these pieces. We can talk about this and, like, I can show you these pieces. Um, of some of the contracts, like they had people sign and like their websites and the things that they claimed about what they were there for and like their purpose and how they were doing that. And it was basically, we're going to love them and train them in the way of the Lord. And we're going to, you know, have them study the Bible. We're going to be giving them education. They're going to be playing and hanging out with animals. And this is basically their place away from home that, you know, they're going to just learn to love God. That, you know, we're trying to help parents who feel like their children are so lost. They they don't know what else to do and nobody else will take them. They're so bad. Nobody will take them, but we will take them. We'll take them and we'll love them for you. And we'll, you know, we'll educate them and we'll do all this stuff. That's what they're telling. They're telling parents. And around the time that I went there is when Pastor Tid was added to the board of directors. He sat on the board along with one of his best friends, Jeff Abels who is the pastor of Berean Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. That's the church that we attended while we were at Circle of Hope. Um, there is so much to go over with my time at Circle of Hope, but I'm going to, I guess, briefly touch on some of the specific physical and mental abuse that I suffered and then some of the things that I saw them doing to other girls, like firsthand witness while I was there. Um, so first of all, the, the eating, the meals, you were, their, their purpose was to break you in whatever way they could. And it was different for different girls. So like with me, breaking me was doing things like that, making me eat something that literally made me vomit and forcing me to do it every day. 
and there was some other girls who were like a little bit overweight and their way of breaking them was giving them half portions. They called it half portions. We already had very little to eat with all the amount of physical labor we were doing. And so they would give the girls who were quote unquote overweight half portions to force them to lose weight. If you were one of the girls who when you first got there and you didn't know the rules and you said, oh, I'm still hungry, immediate mockery put on display in front of everybody and now you want either double or triple portions, which means you had double or triple what everybody else had. So none of this actually boiled down to, you know, an amount of food that they could afford to give to everybody or actually based on each individual body and size and their needs of nutrition value. Everybody got the exact same thing. But if they wanted to mock you or they wanted to punish you, you got less or you got more and you were forced to eat whatever that was. It was literally just to break people and to literally torture them every way they could. There was this little girl. She was, like I said, I was 15 when I went there. There was a little girl who was brought there. She was nine and she had glasses. They, I remember Brother House smacking her glasses off of her face and stomping on them. So she was going around literally blind. She would walk around squinting her eyes, blinking. She couldn't see anything. And it was just because he was, he was just trying to be emotionally damaging any way he could to break people and force them into whatever submission he felt like they were lacking. And she, I remember her, I, I don't know where she is. I've reconnected with a lot of girls there. I never was able to find her. I have no idea how she turned out. I have no idea what she's doing in life, how old she is now, none of that. But she was nine then and she was, she was pretty thin and she said that she was still hungry after one of her first meals, like when she had just arrived there, and he put her on triple portions. And she blew up and became almost unrecognizable. She was always throwing up. She was always sick, and she always just looked miserable. And I remember that. I remember thinking, like, the girls who I felt like were younger than me or anytime they got picked on or like abused or made fun of in front of me, I was like the fiery spirit. Like I literally wanted to go over and just smack them in the face. I wanted to go and stand up for these people and literally physically fight for anybody that I had to. But I knew that if I did, there was this impending threat of you'll be here longer. You'll get your phone privileges, which we only had after a month of being there, we only had them one time a week and we had like 10 minutes to talk to our parents, which was all on speaker, all monitored, supervised. We had a threat of all that stuff being taken away. So you were forced to like follow whatever rules or it was just going to be worse than it always or it already was. So there was the forced eating. There was the starvation. So not feeding kids appropriately or as much as they needed to be. And I went there weighing like 125 pounds and I, they would weigh us every day. And I remember getting down to 89 pounds. And I remember either bro brother house or miss Steph, one of them saying kind of like, cause they would give them these clipboards of our weight and like all any random notes about our health or anything. And they'd kind of like review it every day. I remember the day that I hit under, it was 89 pounds. And I remember him coming in saying, She's only 89 pounds. Shoot. We need to, her parents are going to be coming for a visit in a couple months. We need to get her at least over like 90 pounds so it doesn't look like we're starving her. 
like they had the intention to disguise to my parents that I wasn't being abused. I was only 89 pounds. I was skin and bones and I looked entirely different than I did when they dropped me off. So I remember them feeding me bowls of oatmeal and rice along with my food and forcing me to eat so I would at least put on a couple pounds and not look like I was so starved, you know. And I weighed 92 pounds when my parents came to visit me the first time, which was three months. You got one visit from your parents after three months of being there. This was a supervised visit. You were always to be basically directly in earshot of a staff member because if you on a phone call, in a letter, in a visit, when we were at church and there was other people around, if you were to ever tell people that we were being abused or tell them like, please take me away or anything like that, it was, you're gonna, like, you're gonna be sorry. You're gonna be strained. You're gonna be thrown into a room. Like, we're gonna, like, beat you, basically. Like, it was extremely fearful what would happen if you did certain things. And so I remember my mom being shocked when she saw how thin I was. I remember her asking, like, oh my goodness, she's lost so much weight. Like, why is she so thin? And it was, well, she only eats healthy food. You know, they work out, they do a lot of physical labor out, you know, with the animals and stuff. And so she just doesn't have any extra fat. She's extremely healthy. And thinking back now, I'm kind of mind blown that that in itself wasn't enough for my parents, like of a red flag to be like, oh shit, like something is going on here. Like that's not normal. But they didn't because this was the place that. The IFB and sister churches were all affiliated with. This is the place that the it was like viewed as the last resort for troubled teens that everybody was in on that would bring kids there. They supported it. Pastor Tid said on the board, like this was the place that they went. So they didn't question anything. They didn't question anything. And being a parent now, I'm thinking I don't even let my kids go hang out with kids from school if I don't know their whole family. It's like, if I even, if I don't know you pretty decently, I don't know where you live. Like my, my kids aren't going to hang out with you because you can't trust people. Like you can't just trust anybody nowadays. My parents sent me here completely blind, didn't ask questions. I remember like pastor Ted and my dad, they didn't either one look around the place that they were dropping me off at nothing. And so I was just completely abandoned in this place. And it was, it was literally evil and traumatizing every single day that was you know just one the food thing was just one portion of that there was so much mental fortitude that i had to basically create and build for myself to survive and try my best to follow the rules do what was right kind of put a smile on act like i was shifting towards so that i could just get out and i remember asking one of the staff members one day, like, how, like, how do we go home? What do we have to do to go home? It was like, well, there's no set thing that you have to do. Brother House and Miss Steph will decide when you go home. They will tell your parents when you are actually changed. When you actually are changed and deserve to go home, they'll tell your parents. But I literally remember thinking to myself, that means I'm never going home because they would almost every day pick on me, call me out and just mock. It was like mockery, like mockery in front of everybody. So 
when we would write, like, for instance, we would write letters home. And the staff members would read these letters before they got sent out. If they felt like anything in there was something that they didn't like, they didn't want your parents to hear, or even if they just thought that it sounded funky and they wanted to make fun of you, they'd call you up in front of, like, you know, there'd be all of us sitting on tables and chairs, like, doing some kind of activity, like reading our Bible. That was basically what we did any free time. We were reading our Bibles. Like, we'd be reading our Bibles, they'd be sitting up at the front reading through letters. And if they came across one that they wanted to, like, they didn't want it to go out, they'd call the person up and they would read excerpts of these people's letters and make fun of them in front of everybody and then start yelling at you and put you in push-up position until they were done reading it. And then you would just stay there. Like, you would just stay there until they decided, like, that you could get up now. So, I remember several times writing letters. I don't remember what it was specifically, but I remember being times where I think I asked my parents to send me a new pair of shoes because the pair of shoes I had gone there in were so beat up and torn up and, like, holes and ripped up and, like, that they barely were shoes anymore. And I remember asking them to send me a pair of shoes, and I remember that being something. He saw that, and he was like, how dare you ask your parents to send you shoes? you don't deserve new shoes. If you need new shoes, then we'll give you some old ones. Like, you don't ever ask your parents for anything. Push. And so I was like, get down. And so for, since you guys don't know this, so shirt levels went from black shirts were basically like, you are the bottom of the bottom you got busted to a black shirt because you did or said something that was so terrible. Now you are at the very, very bottom. Means you have no freedoms. You're on suicide watch and you're on runner watch. So like you're not allowed to be anywhere outside of basically being in like direct eyesight of like a staff member or something. So they know you're not going to try to run away. Because there was a lot of chores that we did all over this ranch. Like we'd go pretty far from the property. And then at any point like yeah you could just take off running if you really wanted to. And I was probably one of the fastest ones there. So they would make, they would set up things like this to keep girls from ever being able to, like, run away, you know. So as a black shirt, you are just, you're just mocked every day. And if you're any higher shirt color or staff and you don't also pick on the black shirts and make them feel extra bad, then now you can get in trouble too. If they ever found out that you didn't make a lower shirt push for certain rules they broke and you witnessed it, guess what? Now you're being busted to a black shirt. And people would spend months or years trying to work their like work their way up level shirt-wise to feel like they were able to get out. And it was like this false sense of hope. Like, oh, if I get to the top shirt color, there's nothing that like would keep them from saying I can go home. Like, so in our minds, we were just like desperately trying to work up levels in shirts to like get out of there and go home. And, um, so black shirt was the bottom. Orange shirt was specifically for new girls. So you're basically an orange shirt for about the first month, but it was basically when we, when we think that you have, you know, all the rules that you're showing signs of trying to submit and all this stuff, then you'll get a promotion to a yellow shirt. I never reached, I was there for almost a year. I never reached over a yellow shirt. So I was an orange shirt. I got busted to a black shirt for absolutely no reason. Absolutely no reason. Brother House was just in a bad mood, came in one day, and was like, 
bring me a fucking black shirt because blah 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 and i was busted to a black shirt like for literally no reason like i don't i don't even remember why like he was just in a bad mood he would do that he'd be in a bad mood and the first person he came across he would just start nitpicking and that's one thing like the nitpicking stuff i mean it just traumatized me you were so i mean you couldn't even walk from your bed to the bathroom without like thinking what okay i gotta do this just right so i don't get in trouble like that's how your whole life was there if you were eating and you were making a little too much noise you ate a little too slow you ate a little too fast like i mean it's mind-blowing to think about the kind of standards and rules and atmosphere that this was if you got caught like i said if you got caught looking at another girl a little too long push-ups black shirt i was there for probably a couple weeks before the first time. Like I said, I was brought up to brother house and Miss Steph, put in push-up position. He would step on my back and knock me down to the ground. If you were given push-ups anytime, you get down and you do push-ups where you are. Like no ifs, ands, or buts. You can be in the chicken coop. You can be out in the horse pasture with poop surrounding you. If you don't get down right there and push, you're gonna get more and you're gonna be taken straight to brother house like that's gonna be bad. So like you do it and i remember like being in the chicken coop several times and being told to push for what for what reasons can't even tell you probably something so stupid don't even remember what it was because i wasn't actively like trying to like rebel like i was just trying to like go under the radar do what i was supposed to do and get the fuck out of there like that was literally survival and getting out was my only mission in life at this point in time i was not like yeah like i said i wasn't acting out and intentionally doing stuff i wasn't even breaking rules they would literally catch you and like accuse you of doing something you weren't even doing push and so i'm like okay so i remember we all we had gloves for a lot of our tours because we were like hey like hay bucking carrying you know five gallon buckets things like that so like we some a lot most of us had like a pair of leather gloves and i remember taking my gloves off and laying them on the ground to put my hands on because we were literally in poop and the girl re like leaned down and she kicked the gloves out from under my feet uh, under my hands so that i had to do it in poop and after that i wasn't allowed to go and like go back to the house and wash my hands i had literal poop on my hands and i had to wipe it on my clothes remember me telling you earlier we had those clothes for three days i didn't get washed for three days we didn't change our clothes for three days so whatever you had on your clothes you dealt with that for three days I mean, it's like I said, it is just the most basic, simple hygiene and feeling like a freaking human that you were just stripped of. The fact that you couldn't go to the bathroom with privacy. The fact that someone was always going to know when you went to the bathroom, like when you did like a number two, like it was just all that kind of stuff. Brother House would literally go through this clipboard and be like, huh, I see so and so hasn't pooped in three days. Like, I mean, that kind of stuff, like literally just broadcasted to everybody like, like a joke. It was just a big old joke to him. Um, and I think I was there for about three weeks or a month before the first time I saw somebody get restrained. And it was that moment that I was like, holy shit, that can't ever happen to me. So this was basically, if girls had done something they felt like was so bad that was, they needed more of a punishment than push-ups or, you know, being yelled at and mocked and busted shirt colors like if it was so bad they would take girls and they would lay them down on the ground and brother house would stick his knees in their back and he would start so like the point of this was to literally just bring physical pain to girls 
and to make them like to torture them until they felt like they were done and sometimes it'd be hours and you would literally hear them you'd be outside out in the like out in the horse pasture and you'd hear girls inside screaming for hours because what they would do is they would put as much weight on you as they possibly could without it being without it keeping you from actually being able to breathe and then they would stick their fingers and their elbows or knees into all your pressure points and literally push as hard as they could and the worst part about it was this was not just done by like them and the staff they would make higher shirt color girls get in on it too and say if you don't do it and i don't feel like you're actually putting all your weight in trying to hurt them like you're gonna be next so it was literally a they were forcing other girls to abuse girls too like this all went into like all this just trauma and abuse that we're all suffering we're all victims we're all we're all being tortured in our own ways and the only thing that you can do is do what they say to get out well, like you're gonna be here forever there was literally girls that had been there four years when i got there there was girls that i knew like maggie she was one of the higher shirt colors when i got there and then she basically got promoted to like junior staff blue shirts were like the blue and red shirts were like the top shirt colors basically i think i i see this one say like i just there's so much stuff here to unpack i kind of skipped over the whole shirt color thing so it was black orange then yellow and then pink then green then blue and red so red was actually the highest shirt color you could be as a girl but blue was signifying that you were like junior staff or you were kind of like the end of your road but you were over 18. so that was those two high shirt colors um if you were so starting at a pink shirt you could tell other girls to do push-ups so i remember so many times where there was girls like power tripping because they were so abused and so dehumanized that they just wanted to feel like feel anything really and they probably wanted to get like the attention of staff and brother house to get like promoted and make them feel like oh they're doing really good and they're like you know they're not scared to punish other people for you know not following the rules so like if you were pink shirt you could tell other people to push and there were so many girls who got promoted to pink shirts and they started power tripping just walking around telling people to push for absolutely no reason and if you ever talk back like you're gonna get in trouble like nobody's gonna believe you so you may as well just do it and then there was times where people would realize that these girls power tripping they're busted now and now they're a black shirt next to you and you're kind of like oh you dumb bitch like that's you know what i mean it was just like this whole crazy world and atmosphere and so the restraining thing that i mean there is no there is no sane adult human being that would look at what they were doing to these girls and say that's not child abuse okay but in their minds they were just doing everything they could to force these girls to submit and to fix them like they wanted to fix the girls they would make us do push-ups they would kick us while we were on the ground like i said they'd make us push do push-ups in horse poop um there was cleaning crew which is one thing that you could be doing during the day which was you were, you know, stuck in some place on the ranch, whether it be inside or outside, doing some specific cleaning tasks. Like they had these tile floors in the other property. And you would literally be for hours with bleach and a toothbrush scrubbing the floor. Like to no avail. Like it was never clean enough. You would just sit there for hours and you would just it was it was just anything that they could do to 
hurt you physically mentally we did we were our parents were being told that we were being educated we weren't we didn't do school we did cleaning crew we did chores we did physical manual labor and it was not something that was actually productive it was always something that was literally just designed to make people like miserable so like literally kneeling in gravel for hours in 90 100 degree weather pulling out every little blade of grass you find and if someone would come over to the section that you were done with and they'd find one push in the gravel push kitchen crew if you were favorited enough to get a part of kitchen crew which would mean you got to help prepare food and like do stuff like that which was like the most desirable thing you could be a part of there um it was like yeah it was just the favorite girls but kitchen crew was directly under miss steph miss steph and brother house they hated me they had girls that they were like that they favorited and then they had ones that they picked on more and they hated me from the time i got there they hated me and they just went the extra mile to try to you know torture me and make me miserable and just make me feel less than and just abuse me every way they could possibly think of and i remember one day somebody was sick and they put me in her place in kitchen crew and miss steph walked in the kitchen she saw me and she was like why is she in here they're like oh we need an extra girl because so and so and sick they're like she's like find me someone else anybody else she's not allowed in my kitchen like I mean, for no reason for no reason at all other than she just didn't like me and i remember later that night being on cleanup crew for like after the after the after we ate the girls who cleaned up the kitchen and did the dishes and stuff and i remember me talking about those like those cafeteria or the cafeteria style lunch trays you know how if you turn them over they have like the grooves so you had to so you had to wash the dishes soak them in like boiling bleach water then rinse then dry and if and out of all those things you did not want to be on the washing side and you don't want to be on the drying side and that was because if you washed a tray and somebody at any point staff or whatever came over and picked up one of the trays that you had washed and there was even remotely any fleck of food or it looked like there was like a greasy residue push-ups and you were in push-up position until the rest of everything was done same with the drying if they found a speckle of water in like those grooves or anything but you had to do it quick though you do it fast and quick and you had to be quick or else you got push-ups but if you did it too fast and you miss a tiny little speck of water push-up position until everybody's done there there was times that they would go through so many girls getting sent to push-up they would push and then they would be stuck in push-up position they would literally run out of girls to pick to like replace them because they had these girls lined up in push-up position for 30 minutes hour hour and a half and they would just sit there in push-up position i mean i can't even like i can't even make this like this is literally just how it was and there's so many i keep like jumping all over the place so i'm trying to like make sense of some of this um so the wall that was another punishment i had that punishment three times if you got stuck on the wall that meant you are now not allowed to sit down you are not allowed to do anything that's considered normal you're not allowed to be part of crews. You're not allowed to be nothing. Nothing. You don't get to come off this wall unless you are peeing or you are sleeping. You would literally stand on the wall. Like I'll, I'll demonstrate for you so that you understand what I'm talking about. You would stand on the wall like this with your nose, like pr pretty much on the wall. And you would stand like this with your hands behind your back. If you turned your head to look at like a noise or see who was coming, push-ups. If you moved a little too much, push-ups. And I, I was on this three different times. And the longest I was ever on it was for three weeks. 
So from the time I got out of bed in the morning, I was staying there until the time I went to bed. The entire day, you're staying like that. There was one time, and when you were when you were eating, you stay like this. You hold your tray, and then you ate. You, you ate on the wall. You read your Bible on the wall, and that's the other thing. You weren't allowed to just stand around on the wall if everybody else was like doing cleaning or something. You didn't get to come off the wall because it was basically a privilege to work. So then you're still stuck on the wall, and um, if it was time to eat, ate on the wall. If it was um, like study time, you would still stay on the wall. You would hold your Bible like this. The amount of pain that your body is in from being stuck in that position for 12 to 16 hours a day, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even believe like the amount of, and it's like the, the forcing yourself to not, don't turn your head. Don't, don't look if someone's coming. If they catch me looking, you know, looking off the wall, I'm going to, I'm going to get restrained. I'm going to get pushups. I'm going to, you know, it's going to be worse than this. Some, you know, it's always, there's, no matter how bad you feel like something is, there's always something that could be worse. So you better just deal with it. Like, that was the mentality. Um, oh, God. Oh. Just some of the emotional whatever in bringing up some of this stuff has been really rough. There's been a couple of times where, like, my husband has come home this, this week where I've been, like, typing out some of my story or I've been, like, making you know, like a bullet list of certain things to remember, like to talk about and bring up. And I'd be like, be crying. And he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. I've come past all this and I've healed from it. But like thinking back to it is still like, it's still rough. And to think about like, I didn't even get the worst of some of the stuff that happened. Like I said, I watched girls being restrained. I watched girls literally get smacked in the face. Like that, that little girl who got her glasses knocked off and he stomped on them. I went through some pretty terrible, traumatic mental and physical abuse there. And I didn't even get the worst of it. I mean, it, it was awful. Um, there was, so like, at the very end of me being there, they had ordered packets of like AC packets, so like basically homeschool packets, and school was like a privilege. So if you were a certain shirt color higher, you could sit for a couple hours and like fill out these like ACE packets for doing like homeschool. But if you weren't a certain shirt color, you didn't have that privilege. Like you'd be out like slaving in the heat, doing some stupid something just to make you miserable. Like that's all it was. It was just to make you miserable. This stuff that we did had no actual end goal. It was just just do it until we tell you to stop. The picking weeds. The going out and like we'd literally be out. They had these giant pastures, like acres and acres and acres of like fenced in land for cattle and poop or like cattle and horses and stuff. And you'd be out there scooping poop and then like mounding it just like for just for no reason. Like it's literally acres and acres and acres of land, but they wanted you to go scoop poop and like poop and like put it in piles. But then like they didn't do anything with the piles. They just sat there. It was just something physical for you to do to pass the time and to be, just do what we tell you. How crazy of stuff can we get you guys to do without you basically fighting back? It was like the, and so Sunday mornings, we went to Brian Baptist Church. We went to Sunday school and we went to the service and then we would stay there. They had like a separate building that was like their fellowship hall and we would stay there because we drove like 30 minutes to get to the church, 30 or 40 minutes. 
So we would go over into this fellowship hall between the two services and then go back. And then we'd go back Wednesday night. And I can't tell you how many times I wanted to, like, say something to people that we went to church with about things they were doing. And I just, like, I couldn't bring myself to do it. I was like, I feel like these people are going to think exactly what they try to get everybody to believe. We're troubled teens. We're all drug addicts. We're all liars, whatever. I never had a problem with drugs. I never had a problem with anything like that. But that's what they wanted everybody to believe. These girls are lost. They're so far gone. They were on, they were down the wrong path where the only people who would take them in, basically, don't listen to anything they said. They're not credible. So, I mean, I, I never got to, like, when we talked to my parents on the phone, I got to do it, like, once every week or two. And it was all, you could always, like, you're on speakerphone, someone's monitoring. If you start to say something they don't like in the phone, and then the, when your parents would call back and be like, oh, we got disconnected, like, oh, yeah, something's going on with the phones, but yeah, she's going to do something, something now, she can't get back on the phone. Um, if your parents would call, call and ask, like, how you were doing, like, randomly, and it wasn't during, like, those specific phone times, they would lie to your parents about what was actually going on. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, we ran into some real problems with her. So, we, you know, she and they would make up some crazy story about something bad that the kid did. So, you know, so we're kind of having, we have to take her phone privileges away for the week because, you know, she's doing this or that. And she's being rebellious. And like they would literally just feed lies and tell whatever to the parents. And. I mean, it's just <laughs> terrible. And it's I could just sit here for hours and start remembering all these like details and all these things that they did and like that we had to endure. And like I said, there was girls there were, they were for years. Literally years of their childhood or, or teenage years was spent here being literally abused and just brainwashed and indoctrinated and hurt and forced into submission in fear of basically physical pain, more physical pain than what the normal stuff that we had to do was. Um, and I remember to this day, I was there for, I was there for about a month and a half or two and pastor Tid and miss Stephanie was his wife that are is the pastor and pastor's wife of lighthouse. Like I said, he's like really good friends with Jeff Abels. So he came and visited Berean Baptist church while I was at circle Pope and we were going, we were in attendance at Berean Baptist church. And I still to this day, remember him coming to that church. I saw them walk in and immediately like just, couldn't even help, like, just started bawling my eyes out because it was the first time that I had seen somebody that I knew. And at this point, I still didn't know where I was. I didn't even know where I was. I didn't even know what state I was in. And I remember just seeing that first, like, same thing with, like, when, my, when I got my first phone call after being there for a month here at my parents' first for the first time. Even though I was still so upset with them and, like, my mind on how I was feeling before I left hadn't necessarily changed. Anything was going to be better than being there. And so I remember seeing them and I just wanted to like jump out of the pew and go hug over. Like when we were in the pews, we were not to stand up. We were not to get out of the pews. Like everything was so strict and organized. You know, he was, I think he was an ex, he was in the Marines. And so it was had very like, boot camp style you know to like how he ran things and I remember seeing them but not being able to like say anything to them like if I would have said anything to them I would have gotten dragged out like it would have been bad 
So I just sat there and I remember after the service, she came over and I was like four girls in from the edge of the pew. And I remember her coming over and like reaching her hand out and I grabbed onto her hand and I kind of like shoved behind the girls that were in my way. And I like just grabbed onto her and started hugging her and I started crying and I whispered in her ear, please take me home. This place is, is very bad and they're hurting us. And you could tell that her her face was kind of confused because I would imagine that in her in her position and like being a mother and being like a woman, if someone like would do that to you, you'd automatically be like, oh, like they're hurting you. Like, what are they doing? But she didn't ask questions. She very quickly overcame whatever like brief amount of concern that she had for me right back into I can't listen to what she says because she's gonna try to manipulate me she's gonna try to lie to me to like get me to feel bad for her and like take her out and they literally had things that they would send out to the parents basically saying if you're if your child seems unhappy or they act like they you know they're ready to come home or they say anything about that don't listen to them we will know their hearts. We will know when they've changed. We'll know when they actually have a relationship with God and we'll tell you. But until that time, don't take them out because you'll basically regret it if you take them out early because there's no way that these girls can change their mind and their heart in less than two years. Two years is the magic number. But it's crazy because there's so many girls who were there after that. They would tell the parents like, oh no, and they would, they would lie oh, she got busted last week, or oh, she did this, and she did that, and they would sometimes even turn the phone calls on for everybody to hear while they were telling lies to your parents, and the girls would just be sitting over there just sobbing, knowing that it was lies and knowing that it was going to be even longer before they got out. I mean, it's, 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 it's so mind-boggling, some of the stuff that they did, and I remember, like, the pastor Abel's, he'd come over and he'd visit sometimes. And I will, I will say this, some of the extreme stuff that they did, they wouldn't do it in front of people, certain people, because they didn't want people to know. Because I'm guessing that they knew if any sane person sees us do this, they're going to think that we're abusing kids. And so they couldn't do that stuff. They had to like keep certain things kind of like under the rug so that they wouldn't send up any red flags and they wouldn't get shut down and people wouldn't you know, come get their kids and everything else. So they did have a great way of like hiding things and acting very different than what they actually were. Like I remember even, I think you said you remember them coming to visit the church. People said they remember them coming to visit the church. And the only person who says that they had a bad feeling for them was Lori. Lori said that from the moment she saw him, she said, he's evil and there is something wrong with him and she tried to tell the tids then this was before i even went there but if anybody is in affiliation with supported or condoned by any ifb church it's like people don't even ask questions they don't even ask questions if if they're a pastor that has graduated from heartland baptist bible college or they're a pastor of an ifb church that we're related to you don't ask questions that has to be a good place that has to be of you know that has to be good bible you know preaching you know whatever and like they've got to be good people just because they're affiliated with an ifb church and there was they were literally open for over 20 years doing this to girls 
And as, I, and as I was there longer, it got worse and it got worse and it got worse. I was there for just under a year. I was there from 15 to 16 from, it was 2010 to 2011. And they didn't get shut down until 2020. And in that time, hearing my story and some of the things, I remember some of the girls that have told stories and come out about their experiences from after the time I left. A lot of it was similar, the same kind of stuff I've gone through, but then this is started getting worse, like to the point where like there was sexual abuse stuff and things like that that happened. And I'm glad that none of that ever happened to me. But I did find out later that some of the stuff was going on when I was there too. It was just like nobody knew about it. It was, you know, he'd do it in his office or he'd do it, you know, when people weren't around. But I remember certain comments that he would make or being alone with him and he definitely had like ick vibes, if you know what I mean. Um, and when I finally decided I'm either going to try to commit suicide or I'm going to try to escape from here because it is this bad, I was like, can I, can I tough it out for another year? And I'm thinking to myself, I will not survive mentally and physically for another year and a half. I have to find a way to basically get the message out to my parents that this is not a good place without saying that. And I remember writing a letter and thinking like so long and hard, how do I word this? I've got to come up with a phrase or something to say that won't raise red flags for the householders or whoever, whatever staff reads it, but that my mom will read it and be like, that's not Gabby. Something's funky here. Something to give her a message without giving her a message. And I remember writing it. And I remember that letter, Brother House was the one that was going to read it. He was, he was the one checking it. And I remember sitting there just sweating. I was literally sitting there watching him sweating. Please don't catch on. Please don't catch on. Please don't catch on. If he catches on to this, not only is he going to rip up the letter, throw it at me, put me in push-up position, step on my back, make fun of me in front of all these people and mock me, I'll probably lose writing privileges. So I won't even be able to attempt to get a letter out to my parents. But he will probably restrain me. It'll probably get way worse than it is right now. This is literally my only chance. And somehow or another, my mom read it and caught on because she called them and said, I feel like she has been there long enough and I feel like something seems a little off and I want to come pick her up. And they told her, do not come get her. She is, she is so bad. She hasn't made any progress. She keeps getting worse. She's rebelling. She is, she has not changed. You will regret it if you come pick her up. And they basically said like, no, we're coming to get her. And they threatened legal action because of this contract they signed saying that I would be there for at least two years. And um, they didn't tell me any of, any of this was going on. I was just living one other, you know, I, I thought that they'd gotten it and they hadn't caught on and I was just going to be stuck here. I was waiting for a letter back, waiting for a phone call, nothing. So I'm like, great. They didn't catch on and I'm going to either be stuck here for another year and a half or I'm going to have to try to escape. And if I fail, like, it's going to be so, so bad. So many times I sat there just thinking about how I could possibly escape because you couldn't go anywhere by yourself. You're always in groups of three or more. 
you had to be with certain shirt colors. Like there was so many things like that they did to keep people stuck here. I remember girls, a couple girls trying to run away and they would make it down the road before someone would find them. And then I guess I guess got brought back or dumped off or brother house would go find and bring them back and they would get their shoes taken away. They would have to wear like a bracelet that signified that they were on runner status. They were on suicide watch, so they didn't get to shut the curtain while they were taking a shower because they were scared that they would they were scared that they would try to find something to like hurt themselves. You were never allowed to be in private at all. I mean, it was like it was just stuff like that. It was it was constant. And so I was like terrified that I was not going to leave because not only was people people were looking for like this two this two year mark. I just make it two years and I'll get out. Make it two years, get out. And then you realize this girl sitting next to you has been for, for four years. There was a girl who had gotten pregnant as a teenager and got sent here. She got separated from her child. She had a baby and was separated and she'd been there for three years away from her child. I mean, it's, it's mind boggling because if I was in that situation, I literally would kill someone with my bare hands. I'm going to take my baby away. You know what I mean? And so you're thinking, God, and there's people, they have crippled these people and broken them so much, some of them into submission that they are blindly following and have somehow got them brainwashed enough to believe that they're doing this for their own good and that they want to help them. And so you had a couple girls that were over 18 that could have left. They could have left, but they still made it seem like you couldn't leave. Does that make sense? And so like, oh, well, where are you going to go? You're just going to start walking down the road. Like they wouldn't help you like, you know, go to the bus station. They wouldn't take you into town. And they wouldn't give you a phone to call anybody. Like, they're like, oh, well, if you don't, if you want to leave, go ahead. But, like, you can't use our phones to call anybody to come pick you up. You don't even know where you, do you even know where you're at? What are you going to do? Just start walking down the road? And there was a couple times girls would. They'd hit 18 and they would start walking down the road because it was awful. And they'd end up coming back because they're, like, literally just out in the middle of the walking down a road. They didn't know their parents' phone number. They didn't know where they were. Like, they had no, literally no way of getting out even if they did. They, the, the money aspect of it, they were frauds because all of our parents that sent us there had certain amount of money that they were supposed to be paying a month. They had money they were supposed to be paying a month and it was for room, board, education, you know, clo- you know clothing. Hmm? Do you know the amount? I'm not sure what the amount was for everybody else. I want to say that it was, it was something that my parents couldn't afford. And I remember them basically telling my parents that they just wanted to help. And so they would basically just take whatever they could afford. My parents literally just gave them whatever it was that they felt like they could pinch together pennies and afford. But it was less than what they asked for. And, like, it was supposed to go towards us getting clothes and stuff. It was all those donated hand-me-down rags that we wore for three days at a time. If you needed new shoes or boots, you'd go and find some in a bucket. I literally got these things called planter's warts on the bottom of, like, my feet um, from wearing old shoes of somebody else who had them. It was, like, a contagious thing. Got it on my feet, and it was so painful to even walk. I was asking to go to the doctor, and they wouldn't take me. They wouldn't take they wouldn't take girls to the hospital or the doctor if you weren't a certain trick color because they couldn't trust you to be around, you know, the outside world. And so I had these things, and I remember my mom having to take me to the doctor to get them, like, removed when I came back. And they had gotten so bad, like, having them removed was so painful. And you couldn't be, 
like you couldn't have any type of like anesthetic basically to help with it and I got those from wearing shoes but they were telling my parents that they were putting this money towards food and clothing and stuff and if you ever said oh can I have this you would make fun of you you can't ask your parents for like shoes are you crazy literally I got woke up in the middle of the night they're like come on and I'm like what are we doing and they're like just come on it's like I'm like okay so I started getting my clothes on like half out of it they take us over to like the main property where brother like brother house and Steph's actual house and my parents were there and they just like came to pick me up in the middle of the night because my mom like got my message about this Now, I hate to leave a cliffhanger, but you'll have to stay tuned for next week's episode. I sit down with Gabby one-on-one again to speak about what was life after Circle of Hope Girls Ranch? Did her church family even notice that she was gone for 11 months? Did Gabby ever speak up about the horrible and awful things that she went through and witnessed? Did anybody listen to her? Did anybody care? I'm not sure. We'll have to hear it together. But until then, stay tuned.